0: You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area, heard right here on the RPR Network.
1: Hey, everyone. Welcome back to a second great hour. I'm going to say it's going to be a great Darn hour right Brad, it is. of Real Presence Live. I'm one of your hosts this morning, Brandon Clark, joined by... And Brad Gray, filling out the B-Squad this morning. <laughs> we got the B-Squad on. We had a great first hour. Yep. Uh, visiting with Dr. Della Martinson about telehealth services from Catholic Charities, North Dakota. And then we also finished a very uh, important and I think resourceful conversation yeah. mm-hmm. about pornography, addiction, and marriage. And if you happen to turn off the radio due to sensitive ears in the, in the room at that time, uh, welcome back, first of all, at the top of the hour, a second hour. Uh, but then also know that you can go find that podcast later today on our app and then on the Real Presence Radio website.
2: Awesome. All right. Well, we are awesomely happy. We're awesomely happy to be joined (laughs) by Dr. James This is why we're the B-Squad. This is why we're the B-Squad. Dr. Link, thank you for being with us this morning.
0: Yes, absolutely. It's nice to to be on with you guys.
2: Yeah, we've had you on before a number of times, but uh, for those who haven't heard you on the radio before, can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
0: Sure, I'm in uh, Bismarck. I have a, a private practice here as a clinical psychologist and uh, do a lot of work for the the church, various dioceses in terms of evaluations, marriage counseling, working with individuals, and uh, just different things related to the integration of of psychology therapy and uh, and faith of a our Christian faith. so married uh, and have uh, seven kids and uh, so yeah, that's kind of me in a nutshell.
2: One of the things that I love about you, Dr. Link, is that um in your, in your path to where you are right now, you had some theological studies, right? So you you bring yeah. a certain uh, theological understanding to your practice as well, which I think is incredibly valuable.
0: Yeah, yeah. I was in, you know, I uh, had gotten my master's in theology, and so that just kind of, in terms of, helps me to maybe understand the human person and some mm-hmm. of those issues that come up in in regards to therapy and marriage counseling and, and what have you. So, mm-hmm. great.
2: Well, we've got on the slate for this morning, I think, one of perhaps the most important topics of our times, uh, and that's the the benefits, the spiritual benefits of a hopeful heart. Because honestly, everything around us is screaming despair at us. You know, the, yeah. the state of the world, um, the pandemic, the health, and, you know, it, it seems like that's constantly the message that we're hearing right now, whether it be politically or socially or, or whatever it might be, Is is... Despair that that the end is near. Uh, so can you can you begin to talk a little bit about the spiritual benefits of a hopeful heart and, and kind of what these are?
0: Sure. Well, I think you know there's a, there's the spiritual aspect of hope and there's the psychological aspect as well. but but certainly the spiritual part of it is is remembering that um, you know we're not, we're not hoping in a thing, we're not hoping in an abstract concept, but we're we're placing our hope in a person. Uh, in, in, in the person of Jesus Christ, and, and that's that's important because we remember, as you know, the words of the todayum, the prayer and liturgy, the hours. That if we place our hope in the Lord, then we shall never hope in vain. And it's really important for us to remember that that we're never going to be led astray when we place our hope in Christ. And so, I think some of the big spiritual benefits from the virtue of hope is that it can lead to a, a sense of interior peace the sense of calm in the storm which things that are going on in our world right now can cause a lot of disturbance right and so having a sense of interior peace that we're being guided by a god not an abstract god who just kind of works a machine but a god who actually loves us and cares about us and hopefully that brings up within us a sense of childlike trust faith a dependency that that this loving God who cares for us will not abandon us and who will guide us and lead us through. And so, you know, I think that it has a lot to do spiritually for us in our relationship with the Lord, in intimacy and prayer, but certainly psychologically it has a lot to to offer us in terms of being able to relieve anxiety and to to have some type of interior peace.
1: Right. You know, can you speak to the other side, too? Uh, Because we do know we have a spiritual enemy um, and mm-hmm. the games that he plays in trying to discourage us and, and get us into despair, moments of despair, mm-hmm. um, and even a lifetime of despair. Uh, can, you, can you speak to that a little bit, Dr. Link?
0: Sure. And, you know, and that, that's, you know there's kind of two, two dynamics where sometimes people are going to be too, too much in the fight-or-flight response where they're, they're trying to control things, and they lack hope, and they, have, they feel like they have to do it all on their own. And then the pendulum swings to the other side where we kind of despair and we give up. And and that's where, again, like you said, that can come from psychological wounds, that it can certainly be influenced by the evil one in terms of just saying that, again, life isn't worth living, that there's, you can find no meaning in the midst of suffering. And that. So I think that's where a lot of people feel like now become e- easily discouraged by everything. They feel like um, there's really no meaning in the midst of all of this, and where is God in the, in the midst of the suffering? And and there's a lot to be said ab- about that, is, is finding hope in the midst of suffering, because if everything was perfect and life went exactly the way we wanted, we really wouldn't have to hope for anything more. But we, we're confronted daily, living in this veil of tears, that things aren't perfect and things are difficult, and so we have to place our hope in something outside of ourselves, And I think the evil one wants us to believe that um, we have to place our hope in ourselves and in the world that we live in. And we realize that that's always going to let us down. Hmm.
2: I, I think that's such an incredibly important point that find that the ability to find hope in the midst of suffering. And, um, you know, I think, I think it's a very easy thing for us to say, right? But that can be yeah. a really difficult thing to, to, to navigate, to know how do I begin to cultivate that? And, you know, it's, one of the things that that I guess I, one of the most poignant scenes I've found in in the Lord of the Rings, if you've read that before, is uh, mm. the, this narrative where the two two of the main characters, Sam and Frodo, are trying to get to the the part of the realm of the Dark Lord to destroy this Ring of Power that he's forged. Right, basically where he's where he's perched, and um, and they're surrounded by all sorts of evil, wicked monsters and so on. And at one point, they stop to take a, a rest under a branch, uh, under a bush. And one of them falls asleep, and the other one looks at the sky, and the sky's been kind of completely overcast. And all of a sudden, at one point, a star peeks out. And he's, he's encouraged in, in the reality that, you know, even if, even if the, the Dark Lord wins, and he gets his ring back, and he sweeps over the land and, and causes this, this evil rain, um, there's still a realm that he can't touch a realm that we're made for, that He has no power over. And I think, for me, it's just been such a powerful reminder, because, you know, the reality is, as we hope in God, that doesn't necessarily mean He takes away all of our problems, right? I mean, it it doesn't mean that all of a sudden the the funds roll in, or um, whatever the situation might be, stops. Um, So, how do we begin then to, to find that, to to move toward, to take steps toward hope in the midst of situations that are are you know dire or threatening or those sorts of things.
0: Sure, and that and that's always been the uh, the history of mankind or is is being able to find hope in the midst of suffering. So I think of uh, I've given some talks on this hope, and the, the, the two main the two main works that I often reference are um, you know Victor Franco's Man's Search for Meaning, and then. Uh, Pope Benedict had a, a, an encyclical, a, a letter that he wrote in 2007 called Salve, which means saved by hope. You know, and, and they come at it from different perspectives, but they're both talking about this sense of, of finding meaning in the midst of, of suffering, and that hope is really kind of the anchor that would sustain a person. And so Pope Benedict, he said, and this is such a great quote, he said, it is not by sidestepping or fleeing from suffering that we are healed but he says it's our capacity to accept it, mature through it, and then find union in it through Christ. That That's how we grow. And I think, you know, that's the first step, is that we have to accept it. We, like you said, we have to accept the fact that we live in a fallen world, things aren't always going to go our way. And so, but for a lot of people, the main form of suffering that comes from life is that they have a hard time accepting the reality of whatever's going on in their life, right? That life is unfair, things should be going a different way, we shouldn't be dealing with this, why is this happening? And it's, you know, asking the question, why isn't always productive at all, a more effective way is asking, what can I do in order to get through this, right? And so hope's a big part of what can I do to get through this, rather than asking, why is it happening? Which I think a lot of people fall into the trap of of staying stuck in that kind of victim mentality.
1: You know, you talked about uh, capacity to accept it, and, and the word that stuck out to me there was capacity, right? Mm-hmm. I- indicating that there's more or less. How do we grow in that capacity to accept it?
0: Mm. That's, a, that's a great question. You know, one of the one of the things that uh, we know about hope um, is it, it, it's not something that some of us are born with and others aren't. Now, psychologically, you know, some of us maybe because of our upbringing or our own temperament or different things might be more pessimistic than optimistic. And that plays into having a hopeful disposition as we would think about that as a psychological construct. You know some people just tend to be more pessimistic um, in, in my work with individuals, helping them to understand why would you you know where did that come from? Why are you more pessimistic? Why do you see the glass as being half half empty as opposed to half full? So that's psychologically, but I think when we when we look at it from a hope perspective, but that's a virtue that, that is given to us by God, that we have the the capacity to receive and to nurture, or we have the capacity to reject. And and that's important for people to realize, that it hope isn't this sunny disposition, that things are just going to turn out. Hope is a virtue given to us by God, that even though things look dark, and that even in the moment I can't even imagine how this is going to turn out, I know that because of Christ's resurrection... It will. It will. And that we have to have faith in order to have hope. That, But the faith has to be in Christ and in His resurrection and His conquering sin and death. That's where our hope comes from. So I think fundamentally, as Pope Benedict would talk about in this letter on Saved by Hope, is you'd say, you know, the first place to start is prayer. That without a prayer life in Christ, in a relationship with Christ, it's hard for us to have hope because then hope is just some type of a theological abstract concept, it's not a loving relationship, we're not depending on a person that we are intimate with, and that's where it really has to start. Mm.
2: There's a lot there. <laughs> There's a lot that I want to go into about what you were just sharing, but uh, I think what we'll do is we'll, we'll kind of take a quick break here, and then we'll come back on the other side of this and kind of dive into a lot of what you were just talking about, because I think it's so important for how we live life well, how we live our relationships well, and how we just experience God in the present moment instead of living in some other uh, fearful future or some dramatic dreadful past, you know? Um, Sure. So we're going to just take a quick break here on real presence live on the other side of this break. We'll be back with more with Dr. James link on the virtue of hopefulness. Stay with us. Stay with us. There's more real
0: presence live to come on the real presence radio network.
2: Hi, this is Dr. Ryan Sappo from Lumen Vision in South Fargo, near Saints Anne and Jochum Church. Lumen Vision is a full-service eye care facility that provides eye exams for both children and adults. We offer a variety of frames with missions you can believe in, like Eco Eyewear, an environmentally friendly frame company that plants a tree for each frame sold. For more information about our mission and scheduling your appointment online, you can go to lumen.vision. Lumen Vision is a proud sponsor of the Real Presence Radio Network.
1: Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Real Presence Live here on the RPR Network. I'm one of your hosts this morning, Brandon Clark, joined by... Brad Gray. Brad Gray. And we are visiting this morning with Dr. James Link, a psychologist from the Diocese of Bismarck, about the psychological benefits of a hopeful heart.
2: Mm -hmm. Dr. Link, when you were speaking before the break, uh, you had made mention about a victim mentality. And it seems to me that in many ways... That's something that the culture seems to continuously try to cultivate and foster in us—a a hyper attentiveness to how we're being offended, you know, to how this person is not responding the way that they ought to, or how this thing is not working out, and that my rights are being trampled on. And it, it seems like that's kind of the mind of our of our culture right now is to where am I being offended? Where am I being hurt? And and honestly, I, I think that that can only cultivate that can only come uh, bring about um, a life that's constantly frustrated and angry and distressed and despairing. So can you talk a little bit about that victim mentality and how, uh, how harmful that is to actually just living life well?
0: Sure. And, and that can be, you know, present for a lot of people who maybe in the course of their life have been, have been let down, who have been hurt, who have in some ways even felt like that was their only way to kind of get attention or to receive affirmation was by playing, you know, by, by, by being the victim, by, by using that, by, by coming from that place of victimhood, is that that's how they would receive affirmation or victimhood. Um, or, and so I think helping people to understand maybe what type of benefit it has played in their life, but understanding that it never leads to freedom, it never leads to interior peace, and that it, it can be a, a, a great crutch for people to, to stay stuck in that recognizing that whenever we go through trauma or adversity, it's normal to, to, to kind of go through a place where you feel like a victim, where you feel like life isn't fair. But the key with that is that you, you move through that initial phase of trauma to, and you don't stay stuck in that. And for mm-hmm. a lot of people they live most of their life or a great part of their life feeling like life is unfair, my relationship has been unfair, people have treated me unfairly. And that's really hard for a lot of people to adopt a different mindset because it requires also a sense of accountability and agency that although I'm not responsible for how other people treat me and how life treats me, I'm always responsible for how I respond to it. Mm-hmm. And so I think that has to be kind of the, the initial um, point of focus is that I am largely it, control how we respond to life and other people. And if I choose a victim mentality, that's my choice, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I have to say it's one that's very personal to me because I'd say for a large part of my life, that was kind of the way I approached life, just waiting for the other shoe mm-hmm. to drop. Like, things are yeah. good right now, so when's that all going to fall apart? Oh, yeah. Um, and, and I think that's not an uncommon dynamic, that people will, you no. know, they're always expecting the red light. You know, they're always expecting that things are going to fall apart, that, you know, well, how long will this last? You know, <laughs> And, and it, I think it just strangles hope. Honestly, if, if yeah. you're constantly on the lookout for the negative, constantly on the lookout for where things are, are failing and falling, for one thing, it, there's no room for gratitude because all of, all of the blessings and the good things in life are, are skimmed over. They're kind of yeah. just, yeah, well, that happened, but this, you know? And, and it just seems, well, I, in my own experience, the, the shifting of the attention to the ways that God has been present, and continues to be present, has been just seismic in my own experience of, of life itself.
0: Absolutely. And I think when, we, when, we're, when we're caught in the victim mentality because, you know, we lack hope or we, we don't think things are going to change, you know, we become very self-focused and we, we miss opportunities to get outside of ourselves and to realize that... Um, and I remember Padre Pio say it, said it, and I use this a lot in, in my work with people, that whenever somebody's suffering tremendously... It's always important to remind them that they, they no matter how much they're suffering, they still have the capacity to be a light in the in, in the life of other people. Hmm. That that even though your your life may be falling apart, you can still be an instrument of healing in the life of other people, and that needs to, that there needs to be hope in that, right? Um, but when we get too caught up in the victim mentality, it, it just becomes really self focused.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Link, uh, I want to circle back to the very beginning of the conversation uh, when we were talking about the psychological impacts of of control and how that can really, really uh, break us down and um, you know paralyze us in a way. And you know, I, I got to thinking about. Uh, Psalm 109, and uh, it's a psalm that I had. I believe it was a psalm. If not, it's another psalm that has the exact same line in it by David. Uh, And there's a line in there, uh, verse 22, that says, For I am poor and needy, my heart is pierced within me. And when I came upon that line, I was just immediately struck by the fact that I can't control anything. I am like an infant, right? I, I, I am totally dependent on the Lord. And I wonder if you can speak to a little bit about how that mindset really, and and, and just letting that wash over us, can bring a lot of peace and and a lot of hope.
0: Sure. And I think that is an important mindset to have in terms of realizing that the only thing that you really have control over is how you respond to things. You know, your attitude toward life and to to things that happen in your life is important. To remember that, and I think it it goes back to also... um, the the first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit. And what does that poor in spirit mean? It means that we're very dependent upon God, that we are not in control, but that we have to depend on God for all good things. Now, sometimes when people think about um, hope or they think about the spiritual life, again, there's this tendency to either say, I have to be in control of everything or else I just don't control everything and it's all up to God. But I think there's a middle ground there where, yes, we, we have human agency, yes, we have, to, we have to do what we need to do, but so much of the time we, we try to over-control things. And so when I'm talking to people about taking good care of themselves or keeping the proper attitude, you know, that's the thing that I would ask is, what are you doing to take good care of your attitude? Like, if you want to control one thing in your life, don't try to control your spouse, don't try to control your kids, don't try to control the weather or the financial markets or your coworkers. Try to control your attitude, but in order to do that, like, what are you doing? You know, what are you doing every day to keep the proper mindset, to keep your attitude strong, to keep hopeful? You know, are you praying? Are you exercising? Are you are you aware of of, of your temperament? Are you aware of how you react to things? Are you aware of the stressors in your life? Like those are the things that we need to be, if you want to say, controlling of of our attitude of how we respond to life. And I think too many times. People don't think they have control over that. They think, "Well, I just react the way I react." But again, if we're people of hope, there should be a certain a certain joy that underlies how we respond to any adversity in life. Because again, we know that Jesus is the Lord of all creation. So, but that's difficult. And so, I remind people that if you want to control anything, control your attitude, how you respond.
2: Yeah, I think I think that's an important part too. And, and again, this has been a big thing in my own life is that aspect of, um, you, you just mentioned, like, the, the Lord is, uh, Jesus is Lord. And I think sometimes we can have a tendency to throw a question mark at the end of
1: that. Like, <laughs>
2: yeah. Jesus is Lord? You know, like, like our prayers are kind of like, God, I hope that somehow you listen to this one. Or God, I hope that this time you might come through. And I, I, think, I think what we do is we undercut the gospel. You know, the, the reality that God has promised unfailingly, like and, and that, he is present with us. That he is working all mm-hmm. things to the good for those who love God, and that he is—he's with us in the midst of this. And there's no question about it. There's no question mark to it. That's the radical reality of, of Christianity: is that we're not—we're not alone. And um, and so that it becomes important to, at least in my own experience, to not give so much credence to what, how I'm feeling. Like what? What's, right. what's my emotional state here? But to start preaching to ourselves the gospel, and to remind ourselves, this is true. Like all of reality is is founded on this. And if this isn't true, there's nothing else that I know that I can can rely on. Um, and and at least for me, that was that's been a huge thing in terms of uh, living more of a hopeful life.
0: Right, and in, in exactly like hope in in the terms of. Even if, even if this, and I remember Pope Francis had commented on this recently. We said, even even if we can look at a person's life and we can say, from all external standards, it's been an utter disaster, mm-hmm. whether it's marked by addiction and poverty and whatever, we know that there's always hope because the Lord of the Resurrection is is inherent in that person's life, and so even if it's in the in the in the next life, eternity, we always have the sense of hope, but. Even for a person who isn't a faith who would say, Well, I don't believe in eternity, I don't believe in any of that, people who live with with that hopeful attitude, by all psychological markers and by research would say that those people tend to have a better life because they have lower lower uh risks of, of heart attacks, of stress. They tend to be more resilient, they tend to have better relationships, they tend to be more successful. So even if there wasn't eternity and even if there wasn't Jesus, living that way and believing that is going to help you to live a better life here on Earth, even psychologically. And, and research would certainly back that up.
1: Dr. Link, we just have a couple minutes left here this morning. Uh, any other final thoughts or reflections on this topic for those listening?
0: Um, I guess I would just, again, encourage people to, to put, put time and put effort into the things that are really important, right? So rather than putting your time and effort into trying to control things, trying to watch more news about what's going on with the coronavirus and who's to blame and all these different things, put more of your time and your energy and your effort into cultivating hope, cultivating interior peace, maybe working on your relationship with the Lord, surrounding yourself with people who are hopeful, who are positive, and maybe eliminating things from your life, social media, certain relationships certain things that you watch or read that are negative that are discouraging and that tend to be divisive like all that stuff is kind of external clutter that isn't going to help you in the long run So, so pay attention to that and I think have a good diet of hopefulness in your life in terms of the people the things you watch and the things that you do with your time
1: excellent thanks again Dr. Link for being on with us this morning we really appreciate it
0: absolutely my pleasure yeah
1: All right, we are going to head to a break here. Uh, Up next, we have uh, a really great discussion, another tough topic uh, in that of infertility. We'll visit with Mark Sherman, founder and CEO of Organic Conceptions, about how he is helping couples struggling with infertility. All that and much more coming up as Real Presence Life continues.